A friend of mine passed away. Today is her birthday. Many of you do not know her. She was one of two founding members of our church when the church launched in 1965. Sister Mary Fell was one of the founding members and her daughter Barbara um, was the other. And Barbara Fell's birthday is today. I don't even really know how old she would be. I think maybe 74. I'm guessing. Um, she had a little fish shop called Avalon, and she made the best fish. I love her fish sandwiches. She, one of her secrets was that she made it in an iron skillet. In the second half of the, of the building was a little ice cream shop. A local guy, Wright's Ice Cream, would deliver it. It was, it was really good ice cream. You know what really good ice cream tastes like, Right? Good ice cream is directly proportionate to the fat grams and sugar. The better the ice cream, the more the fat grams and sugar. I was teaching a Wednesday night Bible study, and I saw her from the old building. I saw her down, and the back doors were open, and she was doing something in the vestibule there. And I was, had, had to go back out, had to come back in. When I went out, I said, Sister Barb, what are you doing? She said, i my diamond fell off and her husband had bought her a, let's just say a substantial rock. And um, it was one that you would stumble over. And so I went back to the platform. She came back in, took a handout as you're handing, as you, as you have. I don't remember the lesson, but, and she was fully engaged Eyes, nodding her head, very much engaged in the Bible study, which made me think that she had found her diamond. After the service, uh, come to find out she did not find it. The next morning, early in the morning, she didn't know where it was. I was on my hands and knees. I scoured the whole building. I went to the parking lot and looked over the whole parking lot. I was just distraught. I couldn't believe it. But I went to the restaurant and I sat down in the ice cream parlor, she asked me if I would wanted some ice cream. I said, no. And I said, I am sorry, Sister Barb, I could not find your diamond. Now, Wright's ice cream made a lot of different flavors, but my favorite was the Rocky Road. It was awesome. And we sat and talked about the Lord for about an hour. And then a customer came in and she said, I got to serve the customer. And the customer went up and said, him and his wife said, we would like to have some Rocky Road ice cream. So she got her scooper and she scooped out a bunch of Rocky Road ice cream. And boy, that sounded good to me. So knowing that Tammy would never find out, I went back. And the, the custom was that I could serve myself, which is great. We haven't had anyone that owns a restaurant since then. But it was wonderful to have a member of the church with their own ice cream parlor. And that, that I had carte blanche. And so... The customers were checking out, and I had the scooper. You dipped it in the water to clean it and get it right, and then you dipped it in the other water, sanitized, and then you got the scoop. And so I scooped one scoop, and I, thought, I better get me another one. I scooped another scoop. 
And I went back to my seat and started eating that rocky road. And man, I'll tell you what, there was some rocky road in that ice cream. And one of those rocks was not a normal rock. And I reached inside of my mouth and I pulled out that mega diamond in my mouth. Chocolate was all over my hand. And the Lord spoke to me. I went and washed it off and I held it back in my hand and I went over to her and I said, give me a hug. Now this is very odd. After you've, when you, when you meet someone, you might give them a hug. When you leave, you might give them a hug. But in the middle, it's just awkward. And I said to her, give me a hug. And I held her. Her husband was standing there. and It was very odd because I, I overhugged. Longer than you're supposed to. It's uncomfortable. But I was so, and the Lord just was speaking to me. And I opened up my hand and I showed her. The night before Bible study, she had served somebody and that diamond had fell off in that rocky road. And instead of giving it to multiple different customers that came through, it ended up in my ice cream cone. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the wealth of the world is in your mouth. And of course, it was a witness to her husband that day. And I stand here to tell you that this is the wealth of the world. It's in your mouth. When you have the word, you have the wealth of the whole world. There is nothing you'll ever possess greater than the word. The word of God refutes every spiritual attack in your life. And it does more than that. In your handout now, and I'm looking at this, there is no way that I will be able to go through the entire chapter, but I'm going to go through a little bit of it tonight. And perhaps we'll pick up something later, but I want to start you out. Here is your scripture. Jesus looked at all of those men and he said, and the prayer, but this is, this is prayer. He said, search the scriptures. In the scriptures, this is what he was telling the Pharisees. In the scriptures, you think you have life, but they are they which testify of me. In his prayer, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So let's just cut to the chase. No truth exists outside of the word. This is the truth in the whole world. Not my truth. Have you been hearing this lately? Your truth, my truth, as if truth is subjective. The word of God is truth. And the scripture declares itself. It's self-declarative. The scripture is self-declarative. Now let's talk about word. W-O-R-D. Of course, in the 80s, there was a song called Word Up. I'm not exactly sure what that means. <laughs> Some of you are singing it right now. I can see several lips moving. It marks your age. The word, the first derivative, of course, the Bible is written in a couple of different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The reason why we, we would know of Greek um, is that the Hellenistic society, Rome, was, was ruling at the time uh, that the New Testament was written. So Greek was the predominant language, although there were other languages 
uh, spoken. Indigenous languages uh, were spoken, but Rome would speak Greek. And, of course, there was other languages that they spoke too. But from the word word, W-R-D, there's two main derivatives, logos and rima, or rima, logos. This is important. Before you get to Psalm 119, you have to have a little setup for it because we have to know what Psalm 119 is about and we have to find the mystery of it. I'll give you a couple of aspects of the word logos. Through the, through the word, if, if the Bible says the word, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, that interpretation is logos, which which gives understanding. So I'll give you a couple of aspects of the word logos. Number one, we understand God through logos, through a word. Number two, the logos is the thought of God, which of course then became God. And that's John chapter 1, verse 1, and John chapter 1, verse 14. So the thought was with God in the beginning. The thought was God. That's logos. Um... Also, Logos is knowing about God objectively. And finally, Logos is used to refer to the constant or the stable written word of God. It doesn't change. So the Bible is settled. Thy word is forever settled in heaven. Thy word, which would mean Logos. But there's another word for, lo- for, for word. There's another meaning for the word, W-O-R-D. And that is rima, a rima word. And I'm not going to exhaust these because there's more than what I'm going to give you in the aspects of rima. There's more than this. So please don't think that these are exhaustive definitions. There's more. But I have to give you a small basis of understanding of the difference between logos and rima. A logos word is a written word. You can read it. It's for everyone. A logos word is is the thought of God, which then became flesh. But the Rima word is how we hear God. We hear God through the Rima. We hear. It's a hearing. Also, Rima is a personal word. Everyone say personal. Personal word that guides an individual in a moment. It, it could also order a, a conviction your conviction could be different from other conviction. Now, there's a Logos word that's not based upon how you feel. It's the word of God. Uh, 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 the Ten Commandments could be defined as, as um, absent of, of subjectivity or absent of, of human validation. We don't need to vote on whether or not the Ten Commandments is personal. Those are not personal convictions. And a lot of people say, well, well, the reason why I don't do this is because I have a personal conviction. No, that's not true. The reason why you shouldn't do that is because it's written in the Word. That's The Word's already written. But there are some things that God will give you a Rima Word, and that's a personal Word that can guide your convictions or can, or can offer that. That's unique Word for our individual lives. It's unique it's unique. The Rima word is unique. And also, the Rima word is about knowing God subjectively or on a personal level. God speaks to his people even in these times. Now, he doesn't speak to us 
for us to write the word because that's already settled. We are standing upon the word of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So when you consider these things, then you have to know some things have already been established and they're written. So Rima, however, is a word that you can get from God in your prayer time in your own walk with God. And you should have a Rima word. It's wonderful if you could have a Rima word every day. Now, when I say that God speaks to me, it's not in an audible voice. I don't know how some of you uh, hear the word of the Lord, but it's an impression. So pardon me when I say the Lord spoke to me. I don't want you to think that I turned on my radio and there is this bellowing sound. But the Lord does speak to me. He has spoken to me through many of you. You have said something to me and I, and I said, that's the Lord. That's the word of God for my life. That's what the Lord wants me to hear. I, I'm not always looking for someone to say a word into my life, but I'm always attentive when I know that it matches up with what I'm dealing with or what I'm working with. And sometimes someone speaks a word to me, I just store it in the bank. And it comes to pass later. And if someone walks up to you and says, I have a word that I feel like I want to share with you, don't always pass it off as if it's nothing. Because it really, you know what, God could be giving you a word for something you have not yet encountered. This is the operation of the body. The body has the ability to heal itself. Your body is healing itself right now. It's replenishing all the cells besides your brain cells. It's replenishing all the cells in your body. It's always being replenished. It's incredible. This is the function of the spiritual body. We replenish one another through, through prayer and through the word of God preached and also through the individual Rima words. But Rima word is your personal word. So there's a combination now, an addition with the written word and the Rima word, with the logos and the individual word. Now this is when it's incredibly powerful. The Rima word and the logos. See, that happens when the written word applied to our individual lives, challenges, and situations. Now, what's been written thousands of years ago, established in the heavenlies before the world began, now it speaks to our particular situation. You wake up, the Lord gives you a scripture, you're in the middle of a situation, and the scripture comes to mind, and you can apply it to a situation or a guiding point in your life. That's the combination. That's when there is an explosion. It's like a chemical reaction. It's an explosion. The next part is when the scripture applies in that particular moment. It, it's applicable. And I didn't write this word down, but it's applicable in the moment. Now, I, I, I want to say something here, and I, and I, and I, know, that I know how it's going to sound. And you'll just have to know that I love you when I say it. <laughs> the reason why many people in this house have such, have such trouble in their life is because you haven't been in the word at all. You've been waiting for me to give you a word from God. You've been waiting for a Rima word, but you don't know any of the Logos word. And until you get in the Logos word, you'll have no authority over the enemy in your life. You've got to know the word of God. Now, if Jesus Christ, who was tempted of, of, of Lucifer, he was tempted for 40 days, 
40 days he's tempted of Lucifer. If Jesus Christ himself quotes the word, and this is what he says, it is written, and then he quoted the word, to rebuff, refute, or rebuke the devil. Who do you think you are? Now, I know that, see, talking to me, that's offensive. Who do you think you are to live a life trying to defeat the enemy of your soul, but you don't know any of the word to quote back to the enemy of your soul? If this is the only truth left, you've got to have some scriptures in your quiver. You've got to have some scriptures. If this is the sword, you are swordless without knowledge of the word in your mouth. No, that, that can't be of God. That's not of God. And why? Because the word says this. When fear overtakes you, you ought to be able to quote, God did not give me the spirit of fear, but of adoption but of love, but of a sound mind. I cry, Abba, Father. I'm not of the world. What do, you, what do you combat the devil with? Please tell me you don't combat the devil with searching on Google. Please tell me you don't, please tell me you're not calling your friend or texting or Facebooking someone and saying, I'm really having trouble because you don't know the word. The only way to overcome all of life's issues is knowing the word of God. And one of the problems I, I, I have encountered through my ministry is that many people want to ream a word, but they don't want the written word. Now, let me just tell you about the rema word. The rema word will never supplant the written word. Go look in the military. The military has a code, and whatever has been written, no authority can override the written word. they got to go back and change the written word, so the written word... Follows the command word. That's why you've got uh, very bizarre church congregations and followers and world leaders that come up, maybe small congregations, because they're living off someone's word, but they're defying this word. Their spoken word is never greater than the written word. But my spoken word, when I speak the spoken word, and it is the written word, guess what happens? It's a powerful thing to refute the enemy. So you'll ask me, Pastor, you know I've got this trouble. I got well, what what scripture have you been reading? What scripture have you been studying? What do you what scripture are you into? What what's your Bible talking about right now? What does God saying to you through the word of the Lord? And that explosion of both the Lord speaking in the written word and your Rema word will give you power to overcome the issue. But if you're not in this book, then you're starving yourself to death. Amen. And, and, it, 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 and it's, it is for me, every morning, I'm not reading the Bible so I can find a sermon. I'm not, I'm not getting up and saying, okay, now what can I say today? No, no, I'm reading the scripture because I have to live. I have to survive. I've got to thrive. I've got to get up because the word is more important than eggs benedict or your waffle. Or your coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'll just give a, I'll just give, because I've found out that it's not just the young people struggling. And I don't even do this in this house. But Pastor Andrew has all the young people come up to the altar and put their cell phones on the altar before he teaches. You don't have to clap because you don't, you don't want to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, if now the pastor makes me do that, I'm not going to stay at home. I'll just watch him. Wait, all 
the young people have to deposit their phones on the platform. And the first time I was there and I was about to teach, everybody came, punk, punk. there's iPhones, Samsungs. Man, it looked like electric store. It looked like it was an awesome thing. I, I wanted to take a picture of the phones, but my, my phone was on the altar too. I don't pick them up. I said, that's Pastor Andrew. Here's my proposal to you. If you spent 10% of your day in the word that you do online or through media, I guarantee you right now, you'd be much more powerful in the Lord with less fear and less doubt and more authority. But we're wasting our days and our time. And what we want is Wednesdays and Sundays to be filled up like we're a gasoline station. This church is not a gasoline station. I'm on empty. I'm on empty. Can't wait. Saturday night. I'm super carnal. I got to get to church. No, that is not what church is about. Church should be the overflow of rejoicing how we lived all week. Not a filling station or a gasoline station where we get our tanks filled up. Well, goodness gracious. I, I teach this because... Because I, I pray that we would grow in maturity in the Lord and not become weak or anemic Christians who think that maybe if we read the newspaper article of some good thing that it will feed our soul. It does not feed our soul. And you, ladies and gentlemen, are no greater than the Lord himself who had to use the word of God to combat the things that oppressed him. And finally, the Logos gives direction, gives a Rima direction. It gives a Rima direction because I can have a word from God, but I still have to have the direction of that Rima word. And I always make sure it lines up with the scripture. Did you know that the scripture is so powerful, it's layered, if you know what that means. It's layered. I, I love the layered concepts. It's layered. I won't go through all the layers of the scriptures, but it's layered. It's not just, it's not, it's not just linear. It is not good for man to be alone. That's a layered word. When he said that in Genesis 2.18, uh, it's layered. It, it wasn't just for Adam and Eve. It was for you. It was the law of all creation. It was when Jesus sent out his disciples by two, 70, sent out by two. One puts a thousand to flight. Two puts 10,000 to flight. It's not good for man to be alone. It's layered all through the Bible. So the scripture is a layered scripture. So it's not just surface oriented. But the Rima word, and so what I have to do is I have to measure everything that I feel up against the word. And if it doesn't measure up, then it wasn't, it wasn't the word or maybe it was Maybe, maybe I didn't have the right impression. But when I have this book, then I know that whatever God's impressing upon me or speaking to me, it's going to line up with the book. And whatever I preach from this pulpit, your job is, two, is twofold. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Here's the Bible. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Now, we, 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 
we don't always have a lot of trouble on that, but sometimes we have a problem with that because people don't receive the word. They're not rejoicing. This is an interactive church. When I say something even halfway good, grimace or do something, smile. If it's, if it's the word, that's the moment when you, when we're in the worship, that's the moment when you, or you hear the word, you respond to it. They receive the word with all readiness of mind. And then the Bible says they search the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. So your job is to receive the word and then measure what I'm saying by the word of God when you get home. Now, sometimes I'll give an example and people will come up to me afterwards and they'll have Googled my example and they say, Pastor, look at this. You were right. Look, it's right here. You were right. As if I'm up here lying. What are you talking about? You got to Google my example right while I'm preaching this? Here's your, here, is, here is the response of the audience. Receive the word with all brightness of mind. These were more noble than those in Thess- Thessalonica. Who were these? The Bereans. The Bereans were more noble. Why were they more noble? They received the word with all, give it to me, give it to me, give it. And then they searched the scripture. The only scripture they had was the Old Testament. To see whether those things were right. Because the disciples did not preach out of the New Testament. They lived the New Testament. So, that combination, the addition of Logos and Rima, does something for our lives. And based upon that, that very quick foundation, I'm, I'm presenting to you one of the Bible's most incredible chapters, Psalm 119. Now, I say chapter even though the Psalms are really not chapters, they're individual Psalms, but just for the sake of our Working definition, I'll call it a chapter. I have a few facts down about this, but before I get to the facts, let me just tell you, it's very interesting that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. But two Psalms before that is the shortest Psalm. It's the shortest chapter of all. Psalm 117 is the shortest. Now, there's a lot of discussion, and there has been lots of discussion about the length of the Bible. There are different, um, a few different translations of the Bible. But in the scripture of the King James Bible that we have, um, we understand that the Bible is divided. There's, there's a couple different parts of it. Um, there's 594 chapters in one part and then, of course, the same in the other. And this is not necessarily uh, something, let me, let me just go to it, and I'm going to the book of Psalm. If you, if you want to follow with me, you can. I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily trivia because I do believe that God has ordained so many things. But if you count it as trivia, then it's fine. But I, I'm always curious about what the center of the center is and what is the center of the Bible, the very center, C-E-N-T-E-R. What's the center? So of the 1,189 chapters of the Bible, what is the center of the Bible? Well, there is some discussion that maybe Psalm 117 is the center, but most scholars, even, even Jewish scholars now would even say, most of them, the greatest majority would not say that. In fact, the center chapter of the Bible is Psalm 118. We're not there yet. 
But let's look at the center of Psalm 118 and the center scripture, the very middle of the Bible, divided by chapters and verses. And that's Psalm 118, verse 8. And I don't know if we can put it on the board. I don't, I don't have it. I'll read it to you. Is there a possibility of putting Psalm 118 and 8 up? If you have your Bible, this is a good... You can make a little notation beside verse 8. Psalm 118, verse 8. Here is the center of your Bible. What does it say? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. <laughs> when you get down to the center of it, there's a challenge here for you. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Amen. Now, Psalm 119, the reason why I, I go to, to, to that is because these are some very critical passages between Psalm 117 and Psalm 119. These are very critical passages. You almost have to have the prior two uh, Psalms to fully grasp Psalm 119. But Psalm 119 is, is, a, is a unique chapter. There's, there's a couple other chapters that are divided into 22. But in this particular Psalm, it is an alphabetic acrostic form. It's a structure. It's a poetic structure. And there are 22 sections that represent the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Our alphabet is 26 letters, but their alphabet is 22 letters. Um, of course, for those of you who are to, that would understand this Hebrew alphabet, the 22 letters does not include the five letters that are written differently when they appear at the end of the word or the dotted versions of pairs that have different pronunciations. Uh, there are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. And the vowels are sometimes indicated, however, with marks written above the letter. So up above or below the consonants, some marks will delineate whether or not that's a vowel. But the strict Hebrew alphabet is 22 letters. So this is a chapter, uh, a, a, a psalm, segmented with 22 segments. And each seg segment of the 22 begins with a Hebrew letter. And I'm not going to go through all 22, but I am going to just focus tonight on, a, on the first three. And if you have a Bible that has the Hebrew letter in it, the first Hebrew letter is, is Aleph. The second one is Biet. And the second is Gimel. So we're just going to tackle a little bit of this. Each section has eight lines per letter. And um, this, is the, this is the psalm. Now there's a reason why the writer will give it such credence and, and attention. Um, this is for our understanding. But it has a lot to do with, with what we just said. And it... It reflects back to the middle of the middle, trusting in the Lord. And what is in the Lord? It's the word of the Lord. It's rather 
it's, it's better rather to trust in the Lord than to have a confidence in the man or trust in the word of the Lord than to trust in the confidence or the word of a man. The Hebrew scholar would, would indicate that, that both will speak to you, both the word, both the Lord and the man. They'll both speak to you. But the Hebrew scholar will say, it's better to trust in God than in man. Doesn't that stand to reason? It should, but really in reality, because we don't hear the audible voice of God, um, we, we hear the voice of men, we're not always sure what we're hearing. So we've got to make sure that we, that we put our trust in the Lord and not in man. And always and forever, that, that is the, the word that they speak, either man or God. This psalm is a proclamation of the word, and there's eight particular ways in which this WRD now can be translated. So now we have an extinction of translations of this word. And I'm going to give them to you tonight, and we'll do a little investigation. I won't stay here too long, but we'll give them a little bit. So this is incredible if you read the whole chapter of Psalm 119. There's 176 verses in the, in the chapter. And there are entire schools of thought. People study hours and hours a day for months on just this one chapter. In fact, there's an entire Hebrew order class rabbinical studies just on Psalm 119. So it must bear some great weight in our lives. We're not going to cover all of it tonight. It's impossible. But let's talk about what it means when it uses these different uh, descriptions of the word when it's used or how the word is used in Psalm 119. 25 times the word law or Torah is used. And that, the parent verb means to teach or to direct. So the law was to teach or to direct. So while you're reading Psalm 119, and I hope you'll read it tomorrow, you'll notice the word law, that's the Torah. It, it, it should indicate revelation or what God had commanded. It can be used um, of a single command or a whole body of the law. It could mean a portion of it or all that he gave. Jesus was... Uh, was the fulfillment. The law was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. In this particular chapter, you're going to find this word used 25 different times. Also, a proclamation of the word can be used with the actual word, word, which in this particular translation is debar. It's used 24 times. And that's the idea of the spoken word. God's revealed word to man proceedeth from his mouth, revealed by him to us. That could even be interpreted as a rima. Next is judgments. It's used 23 times. From shafat to judge, determine, regulate, order, discern, to judge. These are words because they judge concerning our words and works. They show the rules by which we should be regulated. Cause us to discern what's right, wrong, accordingly. So the judgments of God. We'll, you'll read in, in the chapter, the judgments of God, the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord. These three are powerful. One is to direct. One is giving us a word. One is to judge what is right and wrong. Let me just pause on this third one and just let you know that the word of God gives you 
a, a discernment of what's right and wrong. So when anyone tells you, oh, you can't judge me. The Bible says to judge the spirits. Now it does say judge it to be not judged. And that means condemn. Don't condemn people so that you're not being condemned. But we judge every day where we go and who we're with. We, you have to make that judgment about people, but not, con, not condemning people. You don't condemn lest you be condemned, but you judge the spirits or you try the spirits or you judge where you should go. You have to make a judgment. And even the Bible says that he has granted us the power, command us to execute his judgments. How about that? So what's happened is that I don't want to, I don't want to throw all the Christian world into the same cauldron of misunderstanding, but, but we've gotten to the sloppiness of the Bible where one scripture is extrapolated and then it's cast as a, as a broad net on everything. Well, you're not supposed to judge anybody. What do you, that's not the Bible. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16, mark them that cause division among you that teach things contrary. And then the Bible says, and avoid them. That's a judgment. And Paul judged people according to their works. Alexander the coppersmith sought to do me harm. Whew. Paul named people. He even judged the actions of one of his great peers and cohorts in the ministry when he said, Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world. I won't finish that out because then I'll start preaching on that one. He's departed to Thessalonica. Can I just, just add a little bit here? Paul was such a consummate soul winner. He loved people so much. He could have ended that scripture and said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. But he didn't. He told everybody where Demas was. And in Thessalonica was a powerful church. And if you look into the life of Paul, he's always ready to rescue people. He wasn't just saying, man, he's gone. He's saying he's gone. But guess where he went? He went to a city where there's a powerful church. Hear what I say right now tonight. People are backslidden and they're gone. But if they're in this town, let new life be a powerful church. There is a chance for them to be rescued. They're down, but they're not out. He left me. He's forsaken me. But guess what? There's a powerful church in Thessalonica. He could have just ended it and said, Paul hath forsaken me. He loved the present world and closed it, put a period or just moved on, but he didn't. He said, but he left me, but he's in a place where there's a powerful church. It's Thessalonica. That's right. Okay, well, I did preach it anyway because it excites me. And also I have ADD. Okay, here's the next one. It's testimonies. Adore. It's used 23 times. The testimonies of the Lord. The test, not, not, it's not your own personal testimony, but it's what the Lord has done through you or the Lord has done for you. This word is related to a witness. It's a witness for you. Signifies loyalty, the terms of the covenant made between you and God. Your life and the Lord, what did he do? He brought you out. He, he saved you. He helped you. And this whole chapter is designed so that we could have even a poetic, acrostic view, a form, a structure. Here's the next one. The commandments of the Lord. This word emphasizes the straight authority of what's said. It's the right to give orders. The commandment of the Lord is right. The commandment of the Lord is sure. The commandment of the Lord is sealed. 
It's, that is void of human understanding. That is obsolete of our ideas. The commandment of the Lord. I, just, I would pause and just tell you about the commandment of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord is being rewritten every day. And that's why we have families in great struggle and turmoil because we've rewritten the commandment of the Lord. I'm not talking about the Constitution of the United States. I'm talking about the Constitution of the Scripture. The commandment of the Lord is the authority of God. He has the right to give orders. And I guess you're on your second page and we'll go there now. And the next one is statutes. The statutes. Hukim. It comes from the, the, the word engrave, to inscribe. Think of this, to engrave or inscribe. When I was, when I was very little, I don't, I, I don't really remember too much of it, but I used to write my J's. I, I'd make the mark across, and then I'd, I'd go way up with my, with my hook, way up with my J. That was a trademark. And one day I found a can of dad's black spray paint and I spray painted the next door neighbor's white uh, house and I put the J. I don't know why it was, I signed my name, J. And they said, Jeffrey, did you write your name on their house? No. Got in big trouble. And I don't know why mom and dad decided I would, they waited till I confessed and then I confessed to Scotty and Scotty went home and told him and I got in trouble. <laughs> That really wasn't engraving. That was just a mark. But engraving, it goes deeper. You can't wash it off. It's etched inside of you. You chisel it in the, the rock, the stone. The statutes of the Lord are chiseled inside of you. If you leave the word of God, the truth, and the church, then I often wonder, what was chiseled inside of you? It's what the Bible says. Some of them had left... And, and, and the apostle said, they went out from us. Had they been with us, part of us, they would, not, they would not left us. But because they were not of us, they went from us. Nothing was ever etched in stone. No, nothing was ever chiseled. And the statutes of the Lord have to be etched in our heart, in our mind. This critical, I'll get to the scripture that declares it so when we get down to our scriptures. The next are the precepts. It's drawn from the sphere of an overseer, someone who, who, who is responsible. They, they, they're the investigator. So they point to the instruction, the precepts. This is, this is the, the person who is looking closely, the precepts of the Lord. These are the particular things. They're digging a little deeper. And finally, it's another description of the word. It's not the Torah, it's Imra. But it, it's similar to Debar, but the term is different. And, and it denotes anything God has spoken or commanded or promised. It's kind of like everything else is caught up in this word. So that there's nothing undone. Everything that the Lord has spoken, commanded, or promised. His word is true. It endures forever. What he's told you is not going to go away. Ever go away. Because it endures. It's commanded. He's not going to take back his commandment. He's not a man that he should lie. And he's not a God that he would change. These are the great things that we hear spoken of in Psalm 119. Because 
It's better to trust in the word of the Lord than in the word of man. The center of the Bible now is revealed in Psalm 119. You all get it yet? Are you getting this? It, it, the word of God, it's better to trust in the word of God than in the, than put your confidence in man because your word, as good as you want it to be, can fail. As good as I want my word to be, it might bend. I, I, I may forget it. I've forgotten many things. As you get older, you forget a lot of, there's several things. There's at least two things you forget. You, you forget, uh, I don't even remember the first one. Okay, that's a dumb joke. This, when these, these words from people have limitations on them. A promise for someone has a limitation based upon their health or their mental acuteness or, or, or their ability but God never fails and his word always lasts. It's better to put a confidence in the word of God, the statutes, the precepts, the law, than to put your confidence in people. And when that happens, then people say, well, someone said something to me. They're part of the church. I just don't want to go to a church where people lie. I don't want to go to a church where I'm let down. Well, there's no place in the world where you can go. Where you're not going to be let down by the word of people. I want to go to a church where everyone loves everyone. Where's that at? Show me that. I'll transfer also. I want to go to a church where everyone just says everything right. That is impossible. You're still... In this body of clay, you're going, you have the propensity to err in your word. And if you didn't have the propensity, then, then James would never address the tongue as the most unruly member of the body. Like the oar of a ship, it, 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 it measures the ship wherever it wants to go. It's incredible wherever it wants to go. Just the little oar and these massive engines, they are subject to the small blade of that mighty vessel just to guide it one way or the other. The great engines only propel it into a motion, front or back, but it's the small, it's the tongue that's going to give the direction of a life, mine and whoever I speak to. Now, I listed this for you because these are the common verses from Psalm 119, but I promise you, as I scoured over these verses, the 176 of them, as I read them, and I've read them many, many times, uh, Yod is the is verses seventy three through eighty. I love Yod. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I may not be ashamed. It's I I, I can't go through all of it, but with you we don't have the time. There's so much, so much wealth here, but these are the common things that people have picked from that are well known, and they're going to be well known to you. Just because they're common doesn't make them any less wonderful, and just because. They're the only ones I've listed on, on your handout. Doesn't mean that the others are not just as worthy. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.11 Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I will run the way of thy commandments. When thou shalt enlarge my heart. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And finally, great peace have they which love thy law. Brother Heiss has quoted this to me many, many times. And nothing shall offend them. In fact, one of the very first scriptures that Brother Heiss ever brought to the pulpit during a, during a, a Sunday morning when I was here at early, early 1999, a late 1999, rather, he quoted the scripture, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Wow. Can you imagine that if you're in the word, you can't even be offended? That's tough. Man, I've been offended. That must mean I got to get back to the word. I got to fall in love with the law of the Lord. I'm a live wire. I'm not dead to the flesh when I'm outside the book. Talk to a dead man and assault him. He'll make no move. If he does, he didn't die. (laughs) Come on, say it again. Great peace. Great peace. Have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. I want the, I want to love his law so that I'm not offended. My confidence will be in the Lord. But you know why I'm offended? Because I have confidence in people. And when my confidence is crushed, I'm offended. (laughs) When my, when, when someone says something ugly to me and it, and it, and it hurts me. And I, and I change the order of my life. It means that my confidence is not truly in the Lord. Look what Peter and John said. What did they say? Shall we seek to please you or God? You be the judge. If we, if we sought to please you, we would not please God. Whether it be right unto God, to hearken unto you or unto God, judge ye. That's what Peter and John said before the Sanhedrin court. It, did, it didn't matter what they said to them. You know what they, 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 the Sanhedrin often, they often investigated or the, the apostles and they kind of did an investigation over them. But that's not always like, like a query or, you know, you're going to go into a room with a swinging light. You know, it's kind of dark and you got the good cop, bad cop. No, sometimes they did the investigation by the scourge. They whipped them a little bit. <laughs> In this particular chapter that I'm quoted to you in Acts 4, They got Peter and John, and then they insulted him and said, we know you're unlearned and ignorant men just by the way you talk. This is how they they said, we we realize you've been with Jesus because you're unlearned and you're ignorant. (laughs) And, And yet, at that juncture, they were dead to their own flesh, and they were not offended because, oh, the law of the Lord, something was driving their lives. It's such a hard thing for us to do. I wish and I pray that I can get in that place that nothing shall offend me. But the only way that I, I can get to that place, I've got to obey and follow the, the words of an old missionary. Some of you don't know her, but her name was Nona Freeman. She was one of the first apostolic missionaries to go to South Africa. Her and her husband, Bud, went to South Africa This was before there was even any missionary offerings. There were no missionary offerings. (laughs) They had a house in the States and, and, and it was a pretty good house. It was a nice house. And, 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 and 
She wanted to keep it, and he said, no, Brother Freeman said, no, we're going to sell it. They sold it for $20,000, sold everything, like the ships of Cortez, and they just, just burned everything and just went on their own. No one was supporting them. No one was giving them, there, was no, there were no telegrams going back and forth. Certainly, there was no good communication, and there was no money being sent. They just went, and she'd often talk about the churches of America are not hungry but they're also not in the word. She used to say, in fact, when she was with us at the end of a revival, she said to me, oh, Jeffrey, thank you for, I don't know how old she was at the time. Maybe she was 80 or 90, I can't remember. Thank you for giving altar, these altar calls. Thank you so much. When I'm through, thank you, do such a good job. And I said, well, Sister Freeman, I'd do anything for you. She said, oh, no, honey, you don't understand. You see, all those decades of preaching in, in Africa, if I would stop to take a drink of water or clear my throat, they would run to the altar and my sermon would be done. She said, all those years, I never learned how to give an altar call because all I had to do was stop talking and they would run. And she taught us if you have your feelings hurt, you wake up in the morning, you go to that mirror and you say, die, flesh, die. You point to yourself and say, die, flesh. Die, flesh. See, the, the love of the law of God, this word, it's, it will saturate you until finally you're not arrogant. Not, the word doesn't teach you arrogance, but it teaches you boldness and confidence in the Lord. The word buries your life. You are washed by the water of the word. The word washes your mind. And we need it so much because we put so much junk in our mind. It doesn't matter what website you're, you're reading or what newspaper you read or what, what movie you see. Even if you think that it's, it's, it doesn't really affect you. You've got to have the word. It washes your mind. It gives you an attention span that... that that media is stealing from you. Media steals our attention span, but just sitting down and reading the Word gives you an, a focus for your life. It orders your way. It solves. It does a healing for your body. When it soothes your mind, your mind is also that incredible mechanism that releases chemicals. I won't go down to those chemicals, but there's five different chemicals that are released when people are engaged in drug use or pornography or some other kind of high. Five chemicals. And over and over again, your brain can release those chemicals so that you are numb and now you need something more, more, more drastic or, or, or more, or more dangerous. But the word of the Lord solves that the more you read it, it purifies your mind. It calms your spirit. It's a soothing mechanism for your whole body. Don't think that when you're reading the word, you're just getting knowledge. You're healing your own body when you're in the word of God. It's strength to your bones, the Bible says. It's health to your body, the Bible says. It rejoices the heart. That means it gives you joy in your heart. The word when you're reading it, oh, thank God. He's coming through for me. The logos and the rima just came together and I realized I'm not going to go down that path, but God's given me great victory, Lord, because I, I realized he's given me victory. 
What was the word that we heard Sunday morning? But if not, Brother Barbara preached, but if not, that was the, that was the Logos word. But what was it for you when you got it? You said, yes, I realize it. It's not going to work out every time for me. But if not, I know God can do it. But if he doesn't do it, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to worship. Because I know I've been going through. Have you been there? You were going through it. But you said, if he doesn't solve it, I'm still not going to bow. You can burn me up the combination of that it's the combination of that and the problem is we our feelings are out like tentacles and many people walk around waiting to be offended and i'll tell you why you're waiting to be offended because you're so absent far from the word i love the law of the lord it guides me it directs me I'm consumed with it. I love it. I eat it. It's my bread. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I don't have my confidence in men, but I have my confidence in the Lord. The center of my center is that I've got my confidence in the Lord. I'm going to trust in him. Whatever came out of his mouth, whatever was spoken out of from the ancient one, I've got to take it and consume it because the word is inside of me. It restores my soul. It heals me when I'm low. When people are not around, I'm still going to know the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. When nobody's around me, I know that he's never forsaken me. He's never left me. He's never gone. He's never abandoned me. He's always present. He's a present help in trouble. He's always there. I got the word. It's the logos word for my life. Come on, have you ever been involved in a spiritual battle and you don't know where to turn, but you open up the Bible and the Bible starts giving you a logos word and then God starts giving you a remus word and the Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I don't have to do anything. No devil, I'm not going to move because I'm going to stand still. I've got the word in me. I promise you, if you get the word in you, you get the joy of the Lord to start healing your body and your family and your mind and your heart. We don't have everything that was ever written, but we have a lot. We don't have it all, but we have a lot. You got to get in the word. Did you know that even from the word of God, you can prove baptism and not even use the New Testament? You don't even have to open up the book of Mark and say, well, Jesus was back. Don't even mention him. Well, how can I do that? Well, go find out. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's on a chariot. He's the head of the treasury of the queen. And the Bible puts Philip in his path. And Philip looks up and says, he gets up in that chariot and says to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch had no understanding, but he had a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And Philip preached baptism out of the book of Isaiah. I'm going to tell you right now, God did not confine himself to the New Testament or the Old Testament. He didn't, find, he, didn't, he didn't confine the eternal pattern of salvation to the New Testament, but it was ordered. It was the eternal plan and the power in the Old Testament. And so when Philip got up to preach, Philip did not have Acts 2.38. Philip did not have the book of Mark, Matthew, John. He didn't have Revelation. All he had was Isaiah. And by the time Philip got done, he had had the word so invested in him. He didn't say, do you want to get baptized? No, the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? 
what hath hindered me to be baptized? Oh. I tell you right now, you get back in the word and you won't be so lonely. You get back in the word, it'll help you with your finances. Because the word will give you settlement so you don't have greed and jealousy. Most of our debt is, is created because we have greed and jealousy. Always trying to do something and keep up with somebody or lust or maybe pride. How do I solve that? Get into the word of God. I love Dave Ramsey. You ought to go to Dave Ramsey. But if you hear Dave Ramsey, he's quoting the Bible. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children. In fact, the Bible says, moreover, it's required to be a good steward. I, I, I'm sorry, I've lost the... It's required for us to be a good steward of our finances. It's in the word of God. Everything that we need. Well, I was just hoping someone would give me a word. I'll tell you what you should hope for. You should hope for, you should hope for that the electricity would go out in your house and your phone battery would die. You should hope that you would actually dunk, baptize your iPhone in a cup of Coca-Cola. I hope you sit on your brand new iPads and your tablets and break them. I hope you get arthritis of the thumbs. Because if that happened, maybe you would open up the book and find out everything that I ever needed came from the written word of God. And when he gives me a logos and it matches up with the, when he gives me a rima and it matches up with the logos, there's an explosion in my life. Yeah. Uh, I just got to contain myself and just go a little bit here. And I'll just give you the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Kind of, if you, if you can't remember how to pronounce it, it's almost like an olive. Aleph. Now, the reason why I know this is because I've, I've got this little thing. It pronounces all of the Hebrew letters for me on my computer it, does that for me. It's, I've been listening to all the Hebrew letters all day. I'm walking around practicing these Hebrew letters and Nico saying, Dad, are you, what are you saying? Aleph. I'm only going to offer a couple here. I won't offer the whole section of eight verses. Each section has eight. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep so look at what he's talking about. They're walking and the way they're walking. They seek him with the whole heart. They don't sin. They walk in his ways. And this, of course, describes this first section of Aleph. Describes the course of life via the word or in the word. The course of your life directed by God's precious book. Some of you are going to say, well, pastor, what do I do? Well, well it's 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 it's. April. Well, that's okay. Go get a one-year Bible and start reading in April. That's all right. Just, just open up the book and start reading the book of Matthew. If you're not really sure even where to read, read, read the first chapter of, 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 of Psalm. And maybe if you can find the sermon that I preached about the first chapter, uh, the first Psalm, blessed is the man that walketh not. There's all the ways not to do things. And then when you get the knots right, when you get what you shouldn't do, then you'll find out the blessing of it. 
You delight in the Lord. Read, read through the Psalm. Read through the book of Acts. Go to the kings and find out the power that happened in the kings and what God had done. It will speak to your life. It's the course of life. We find our course of life. That's the first thing. It set us on course. It's guiding us correctly. The second letter is biet. And it starts with a question. How can a young man cleanse his way? How does it, what does that, that imply? That the young man has been filth or he has been corrupted in some way. The young man is the youth. A young boy or a young girl. How do they cleanse their youthful indiscretions? How do you cleanse your youthful indiscretions? You take heed according to thy word. I hope I get it correctly, but, but there's only one time that the word success is found in the Bible. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Joshua 1 verse 8. It's the only time that the word success. This book of the law, Joshua said, shall not depart out of thy mouth. But, thou medit- but I will meditate in it day and night. Then I'll make, you'll make my way prosperous and I'll have good success. You want to be successful in life? Success in life is not how much money you have in the bank account or how little. In fact, how much money you have in the bank account might just indicate how much you've given up to get that. It also might indicate how good God's been to you. And it also might indicate how much responsibility God's put in your hands so that you can bless the kingdom. Little, got a little tight right there. Yes. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, verse 11, so I won't sin against you because the word rebuffs. You know what the word does? It fills in the missing gaps. I hope you, I don't know if you want to write this down or not, but it's worth remembering. Where your conscience fails you. The word of God fills in the missing gaps where your conscience fails you. Well, I just had this internal thing to tell me right or wrong. Don't trust yourself. Jeremiah 17, 9. Don't trust your own self. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you proclaim the goodness of your own heart or the goodness of someone else's heart, be very careful. Jeremiah said, the heart's desperate to the wicked. Who can know it? Be very careful before you trust the intentions of your own life. Yes, that's why you hide the word in your heart because... The moment I wanted to do something, I couldn't do it because the scripture. Anybody remember after the bread and wine? I preached a few years ago. Anyone ever remember that after the bread and wine? Praise God. I think I'm just going to preach every sermon I've ever preached one more time. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to stop studying. I'm going to preach the next 19 and a half years. I'm never going to open up another. I'm just going to go back to the sermons. Never mind. I'm not going to tell you about it. You might, you might hear it in a couple of weeks. Forget it. Forget that I ever said that. Wipe it from your mind. You did not remember. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips I've declared the judgments of thy mouth. 
This is the how. It's the process of the word. And it's also the result of the word. It's the process and the result. It's the second part. Now my course is set. Now I'm going through the process. I'm already seeing the result of it. It's already keeping me from things. And finally, I'm just offering you this last one. Gamil. Deal bountifully with thy servant. Just two verses. That I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes. That I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. I'll read a couple more here. Verse 22. Remove from me reproach and contempt. Remove from me. This is the petitions. This is the petitions through the word. So we pray through the word. Do you know how much more powerful my prayers are when I pray the word and I ask God through the word? And even though he, his memory has never failed, I remind the Lord of what I've read in the word and what he has done, and I stand on the written word and the testimonies of the saints that have gone before me. I make my petitions before the Lord, and I ask the Lord to cleanse me. When I need a cleansing, which is on a regular basis, I go to Psalm 51, and I, and I pray, Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Hear me, everybody. If you struggle with past infractions and sins, even with strongholds in any way, you get Psalm 51 and you open it up and you, you pray it as a prayer. This was David's prayer when he had, when he had sinned with Bathsheba. And Nathan the prophet had, had said, you're the man, you're the one who sinned. And David wrote his prayer. Can you imagine David would expose his life to us? He would expose his life. And he said, against thee, the only have I sinned. I've done a wicked thing. And he said in verse 7, purge me with the hyssop, I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be white in the snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Because at that moment, David was in grief. He had put on sackcloth and ashes. He was fasting for seven days, laid on the, on the ground in front of his palace. His, his, his palace servants and the magistrates and all the royalty wanted him to come back in, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it because he realized the horrible mess he had made. Hide, don't hide your face from me, but blot out all of my sin. And then verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew within me a right spirit. You ought to have that memorized in your, in your prayer vocabulary. I, I, I can't even remember a prayer time that I went through that I didn't quote that created me a clean heart, oh God, renew within me a right spirit. Don't cast me away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. I will teach transgressors, transgressors and sinners. They'll be converted because I've been converted. Deliver me from blood guiltness. He had blood on his hands. He had... He executed Uriah. He executed him. It was a direct execution. Then he said, verse 16, Thou desirest not a sacrifice. I give you a burnt offering. It's nothing for me to give you a burnt offering. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. You can't pay your way into a guilt-free life. 
David gave offerings even after this. He still gave burnt offerings. You should always give your tithing, but don't think because you've given a tithing, you're going to live a guilt-free life. You've got to have something. Here's David's going to tell us. He's going to tell us what the sacrifice of God are. They're a broken spirit. Well, no one's going to talk to me. No one's going to tell me. You know how you get close to God? You have a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Those are the things he will not reject. He doesn't despise that. How do I come to God? You break yourself and say, Lord, help me, forgive me. I'm, I'm flesh. I've, I've messed up. I don't know what to do. I don't know how many times you've done it, but I'll just tell you right now, so many times I've come to God and I've said, Lord, help me. I need you. And I cry before God because I know I've got to have God. I cannot pontificate with God. I cannot challenge God. I don't preach to God. I, I pray to him and petition God. With a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, I know you won't, you won't turn this away. Think of it. He wouldn't turn it away. He didn't turn Adonijah away. Even though Adonijah will later die. Adonijah appeared to have a contrite heart. And Solomon let him live. I don't go to the story. But, but he was trying to take the kingdom from Solomon. And, and Adonijah ran into the temple and grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar. And it looked like he was praying. As long as he was there with a contrite, broken spirit, Solomon said, we're just going to let you live. Because a broken and a contrite heart, God just can't turn away from that. That's the sacrifices of God. So, petitions are made through the word, our petitions. Our prayers, you can even put prayers, our prayers, our, our requests. They're made through the word. Please stand now. Just when you stand, be like the be like the be like the Bereans and just lift up your hands and receive this with your whole heart and your spirit and just say, I receive this for my life. I receive it for my life. Come on, even right here now, we're receiving this for our lives. We're receiving this for our lives. Come on, just let the word now. You've, I've quoted the scripture. I've read it to you. You've read it now. Now just pray, Lord, give us a rima word. Let the people receive a word for their individual step, their life. You're speaking to people here tonight, Lord. I feel it, but I don't know what you're saying to everybody. But I, I thank you for speaking to people now, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. Yes, yes. Come on, open up your heart and say, speak to me, Lord. I, you can talk to me, Lord.